First of all, uh, we if you listen to the 937, we kept saying, we're going to be back this week. We're going to be back this week. But um, so I got a new job. We both got COVID. Afghanistan blew up. Like things happened. And we just didn't have the ability to put out a show. And after COVID, I, I had a cough for maybe four or five weeks. It would just it would have been impossible without taking a break every 30 seconds. So we just kind of put everything on pause. But, but we are back. You and you know, if you've listened to us for more than five minutes, there is no way in the world that I am ever going to let this month pass us by because it is it's spooky October. It's spooky October. Oh, and by the way, Kim, because it's been so long, what did we forget to do? Oh yeah, uh, you're listening to an hour of your life, and my name is Kim, and my name is Steve, and we are now doing spooky October, and we are kicking off spooky October with a very special guest. We have Blaine Dart joining us from the wilds of Pennsylvania in the beautiful town of uh, Mockchunk, aka Jim Thorpe, um, which is its own thing. Uh, but we are sitting in the Carbon County Jail right yes, now. Yes, we are finally we finally got locked up. We're in jail. I've avoided Facebook <laughs> jail, but I'm sitting here in the big house right now, and we're actually just sitting right here in in the cells, and there's a a gallows right there. <laughs> right but that that's part of the story, right? Yes, right, Blaine? That is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blaine, how you doing? I'm good. How about you? Yeah. Oh, we're doing great. I'm not coughing, and we're we're all fine. So, you're local. You're from this area. Yep. I was born and raised here. Yep. All 18 years. All 18 years. Mm-hmm. Well, you look very mature for your uh, 18 it. years. <laughs> I, I thought you're like maybe 40. The beard adds some years. The beard adds some years to it. <laughs> okay. So we joke a lot. So anyway, where are we? So we are in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, aka the Carbon County Prison, or AKA, what we like to call it, the Old Jail Museum. The Old Jail Museum. And how old is this jail? It's about 120 years old. It was built in 1871. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, 150 years old. Yeah. And and what I thought was fascinating, we took a tour the other day. When were the last prisoners housed here? So my grandparents were actually the ones who bought it. Uh, They toured it in 1995 to buy it with 13 prisoners still left in it. So the last prisoners were here until January of 1995. That is crazy. And it opened in 1871? Mm -hmm. 1871. Hey, before we get into the jail, which is the main point of this. Okay, so we're we're here on vacation. And honestly, this is the most scenic town that we've been in. It just seems like there's a lot to do here. And we we enjoyed the other day, and then we we took the tour of the jail, and we thought, you know what, let's let's do this. And we came back. I called, and Blaine said, yeah, I'd love to do a podcast with you. But Blaine, before we get into the jail, can you tell us a little bit about the town itself? Yeah, so Mokshunk originally was a transportation town. So there are a bunch of cold mine towns up up the road a couple miles, and there's also a big mountain to the left of the jail that's called Mount Pisgah. That was where the first railroad, or I mean the first roller coaster was actually created. That's what they called it. So they would have the donkeys climb the mountain up to the top, and then the mines, or the coal, excuse me, would go down the mountain right to the river. Uh, The presidents were actually here. They rode the first roller coaster, 
And it was a big, it was a big thing. Kind of like so Indiana cool. Jones and the right. uh, Temple of the Doom type mm-hmm. thing going yeah. on right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is. Well, that's fun. Okay, so yeah, my family we're from coal country. My family's from Eastern Kentucky, and I, yeah, we'll get into that in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, coal plays a very yeah. integral part of in this jail story. Yeah. So, how do you pronounce the original name of the town? Is what? Mock Chunk. And A U C H. C-H-U-N-K. And what does that mean? I, that means sleeping bear in Native American. Sleeping bear. Sleeping bear. Okay, so if we've traveled up and down the back roads of Pennsylvania, we have seen dead porcupines. <laughs> dead deer. I have not seen one bear. One bear. Are there, are there, are there bears here? There are bears here, yep. Uh, but the name actually comes from a mountain. Back when the Native Americans actually roamed around here, there was a mountain uh, not too far from here, that looks like a sleeping bear. So that's why they named the town Sleeping Bear. Yeah. And then, how was the town named Jim Thorpe? So Jim Thorpe was actually an uh, Olympic athlete, a very decorated Olympic athlete from the state of Oklahoma. So uh, we're not sure, actually. I don't personally know why the exact reasons he's here. All I know is back when uh, he died, he passed away, they were looking for a place to remember him. So they came here. Uh, and said, if we combine from East Mokchunk and West Mokchunk to Jim Thorpe, and we built him a monument, we could have his name. So we built him a monument about a mile away from here. We combined from East Mokchunk to West Mokchunk, and ever since then, we've been called Jim Thorpe. So no real ties to Jim Thorpe that you know of. And we, no. Okay, so here we, we try to avoid as much controversy as at all possible, but was it a like, was the town 100% behind the naming of this? No, it was it was probably about, like, 50-50, I'll say. A uh, funny story about that is actually when they were thinking about naming the town Jim Thorpe, they went around to a bunch of pregnant women and asked, uh, <laughs> if, if we named the town Jim Thorpe, would you be interested in naming your son Jim Thorpe? So my dad actually has two or three friends with the first name Jim, middle name Thorpe, and then their last name. Wow. And what year did they do this? I'm unsure the exact year. It was about 1980, somewhere around there, 1970. Okay, you're wow. 18. So your name's not Jim. <laughs> no. Your name is Blaine. My name is Blaine, yeah. Okay. Do you have any older brothers? I do not. I'm the oldest. And they okay. didn't bother to pay them or anything for I don't naming know their if they kids. offered them any money or anything like that, or it was just kind of having the same name as a town. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm, mm, that's interesting. <laughs> I, don't, I would probably do it if there was a payout. Be like, yeah. listen, this is your college fund, kid. You just deal with it, so Jim. So we, we were fishing this morning, and I offered her a dollar. This sounds bad. I shouldn't tell this. But I offered her a dollar to eat an earthworm. And, and my response was? No. No, no. Oh, tell no, my full it was, response. Yeah, if I can wash it first. And I said, no, you got to eat it right out of the dirt. And she said, I said I would do it, but you had to give me five. And you, being the cheapskate that you are, would not do it. And I was ready, but you said no. All right. Anyway, <laughs> we digress. But let's get back to the story, the reason that we're here. So as we went through the tour the other day, there was a really good video. And from what I understand, the, the story of this jail really goes back a long, long time, back to Ireland and England. Yep. And so right. what's that all about? So the group, the most famous group here was the Molly Maguires. Molly Maguire was originally a woman over in Ireland who rebelled against uh, English. She actually started to murder some of the landlords when the rent went up and they started to get evicted. She thought that was very unfair to the Irish, so she actually started murdering the landlords. Oh. Therefore, when the Irish came over to America and started causing trouble down in the coal mines, the English gave them the name the Sons of Molly Maguire. But as I just said, the English or the Irish were coal miners, 
and they were working for better rights. They were actually the first union. They unionized, and they were on strike for a couple times, working for better wages and better working conditions, as they were only being paid about a dollar a day. Was that typical? Was it only the Irish being paid a dollar a day? Who, do you know who the main laborers were? Was it Irish, or did it attract like German laborers and so other it people? Was, it was mainly... Uh, this was during a time of, like I said, English was taking over Ireland. Everyone really from England hated the Irish. Mm-hmm. So when they got here, they actually found signs that said, help wanted, no Irish need apply. And the Irish were the only people who actually could take the jobs because the mines were the only people who wanted them. Yeah. And so this goes back to like the potato famine and when the... Yeah, they the, were looking the, the, for a new place to go. The English, yeah, the grow. English were taking the land from the... From the Irish, yep. From, and and yeah. not to mention, like you just said, the potato famine popped up, and most of the Irish were potato farmers. They had no source of income. They heard all these great things about America, and they decided to come over. But when they got here, it, things wasn't, weren't, it wasn't too great. No. Things weren't yeah. what they were expecting. Do you know if there was anyone who was selling them a bill of goods, say, hey, you know, you know, pay me this much most, money, and yeah, we'll get on the boat, and I'll take you likely. to America? Yeah, most likely. They, like they said, they, they heard all these great things, how there are so many jobs, so many opportunities. They could just have a fresh start. But when they got here, they probably should have stayed in Ireland. Probably yeah, should have stayed in Ireland. No offense to our current English listeners, but historically, the English don't have a great reputation for treating other people wonderfully. Well, okay. I mean, we so, kind of made a whole country go. out of that. We do have a lot of <laughs> listeners from Ireland. For whatever reason, we have a lot of uh, oh, a lot yeah, of people do. from Ireland that that listen to this show. Good thing so. y'all stayed. Yeah. Thank <laughs> goodness. Okay. Anyway, now Kim's always got a way of like uh, <laughs> one of our first shows we did. She offended like the the entire state of Georgia. Well, I mean, <laughs> just, they got over it. It's oh, fine. They got over it, I guess. Okay. But so in and we've talked before on the show about the working conditions in the coal mines and I know I mean it's not exactly like the greatest job on the planet. You you didn't get paid very much. No, you did not. It the working conditions were not safe. There you know, you you had script um that you could only use in the coal company store. You couldn't you weren't paid enough I mean you couldn't buy stuff anywhere else because literally you were paid in coal money that got spent at the coal store so it, I can't you know I, I can't I can't fault the guys for wanting to unionize and and do better for themselves are there any abandoned coal camps around here like There's, when you get up in the mountains or uh, there is a, a famous coal mine it's called number nine mine uh-huh. you actually can take a tour of that that's in the next town up called lansford yeah and so there's some um like where, where i'm from there are old coal camps and there's like the man who owned the coal mine his house is up on the hill and you can see the old buildings down there and a lot of the old buildings the old company store um i've never been there but not too far away from here there's a town called centralia uh-huh. and actually i don't know if you heard about that but there is a fire under centralia oh yeah right they yes. they made that's, uh, oh that's not too far from here that's probably about <gasps> half an hour they made a video game called silent hill about uh, centralia and then a subsequent movie or two that were not very good so so there, there. you go. <laughs> Did you, do you, are you a video gamer? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Have you ever heard of that game? I never have. No. Okay. Well, it's local. Really? <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe yeah, they, they maybe got out. some yeah. scenes from I, that right there. Well, I think in the video game, the town was built over a pit, like the a portal to hell, but in reality, Centralia is just 
a bunch but of coal that will never stop burning. Yeah, it'll it's never stop burning. Qu- not quite as exotic, but still pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's again let's get back to the <laughs> get, get back to the back <laughs> to the jailhouse. So we talked about the Molly Maguires, and so the men that were charged with that they were called Molly Maguires. Yeah, so the Molly Maguires were a group who were accused of murder. Uh, we're unsure if they were innocent or guilty. There was a group of 20 of them that were put on trial, um, found guilty of murder, and then seven were actually hanged where we are today. Hmm. So who right there in those... Right there in those gallows. They're not the original ones, but they are an exact replica. Uh, who, what, whose murder were they charged with? Uh, it was a bunch of coal bosses. So there was only about four people who were actually murdered. It was uh, three coal bosses and one actually coal miner okay. who were murdered. But eventually uh, what happened was the owner whose name was Franklin Gowan, started to fear for his own life. Mm-hmm. So he went down and sent a spy. That spy's job was to pretty much figure out who he thought was causing all this trouble. So he was down there for two years, actually. Oh, wow. And that spy came up with a list of names and then um, sold everyone out. And and so this the jail here was already built at that time, correct? correct. And yep. how, when, I guess, a step back, when was the jail built in so reference to when Mott The jail Chunk was built in 1871. Okay. And then the people were hanged in 1876. Okay, so it was, so it was for five years. relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, and was the jail built... Um, kind of around the same time, like I guess when Mock Chunk was developed versus when the jail was actually built, was it kind of at the same time or was so it, did it come Chunk, along later? Mock Chunk was probably developed in the early eight, 1800s, okay. like 1820s, probably somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it was probably built a couple years after. Huh. So it actually they went, it sounds like they went for a pretty good amount of time without like a, a jail jail. There was there was a couple, uh, they had the courthouse that they had a holding cells, a couple holding cells, but there was never actually a, a jail. Oh. Uh, this was one of the first, uh, this was about the fourth jail, I think, built in uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. And did did the warden and his family live in this building? They did live in a building, yep. So they lived uh, right above, not above, but almost right next to where the cell block is. There's a master bedroom for the warden and his wife. There's a sitting room, and then there's a children's bedroom. And what was the warden at the time like? Was he was he thought of as like a was he a, a kind warden or was he tough? So uh, throughout the years, there's probably been about like 20, 30 different wardens here. So uh, it would be uh, we have no records of anyone actually. So we don't know who they were. We don't know if they were nice. We don't know how strict they were. We gotcha. don't know anything like that, hmm. unfortunately. So, but the warden's family, the kids, and everyone lived right here in in the jailhouse. But that's. I don't know, as, as I told you as we were talking before, that's not unusual. My dad was born in in, in jail. jail, not because <laughs> my grandmother did anything bad. It's just my grandfather was a jailer, and he lived, five of my dad's brothers and sisters were born in jail, and when there were no prisoners, they would play in the cell blocks and yep. do things like that. Funny, so. funny enough, you guys were in the dungeon uh, uh-huh. in the later years or into early 80s, 90s. Uh, that family actually still lives here, and the kids still live in the area. But uh, they said they used to play ping pong down in the dungeon. That's creepy. With the inmates down there? No. <laughs> so that's, that's when solitary was closed. They had they set up a ping pong table and they would go down and play ping pong in the dungeon. Interesting. So what type of prisoners were housed here? So this is county. So the next stop would be, or you know, county offenses or so things like that. State prison would be next, right? Yeah. So state prison would be next. So when it was first built, it was maximum security. It was a state prison, so people could serve up to life sentences here. Oh wow! As it got into the seventies, uh, yeah, early seventies, it became a county prison. So okay. max will be five five years. Huh. So when the Molly Maguires were here, um, and they were hung, tell us a little bit about that. 
So when they were hung, uh, interesting enough, the gallows were only set up to hang one man at a time, but back in the 1870s, that was considered a form of entertainment. So people would actually buy tickets to come see this. The warden wanted to make it as good of a show as he actually could, so he put some extra supports and some extra ropes on the gallows, and he hanged four men at once. Wow. Yeah. With a, a max, the most people ever in here to watch a hanging was 400. That is insane. In room right here, this, then. It is, mm-hmm. and so obviously you can't get a good feel for this room, but I would say, I mean, it's 400 people in here would be tight. It's It would be like standing room only. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did they get balcony seats? And yeah, so they were actually they were lined all around the balcony, all oh, wow. right through here. And another thing, all the cells would have had wood doors on them, mm-hmm. so they would have shut these wood doors because, again, that was considered a form of entertainment. They didn't want to entertain the prisoners that were still here. That's that would have been kind of disheartening if you were another inmate in here. And, and you saw someone else get hanged. Yeah. I almost would wonder if it was worse, though, to not see them get hanged because you would hear I'd, all of it, yeah. but you wouldn't be able to see I any of it. So I your mind... Ima- I couldn't imagine. Yeah, couldn't your imagine. mind makes up the worst possible scenario that mm-hmm. you can possibly go to. So down in the dungeon, that was pretty dreary and dank down there, kind of yes. damp and uh, not not a good place to be. And they were... And there's no, there's no light. And I noticed, <laughs> kind of made me laugh a little bit. So I'm six feet tall and those doors are not six feet tall. No, they're, they're probably about like barely like five, five, eight. Yeah. yeah. Did they ever put lights down there? Um, probably like when they used it as storage, there was probably some sort of lights down there. But as far as we know, there was no candles, there was no oil lamps, nothing like that. So they just led the prisoners down. In the dark. It was just punishment. Yep. And huh. there's nothing in there. There w- There was... Do they even have a bed? No, they would mostly have like maybe, maybe a grass mat. Yeah, and it's there's no light, there's nothing, and you it's it's cold, it's like just concrete, stone, stark. There's there's nothing. I can see how if you were down there, and you could be down there for indiscriminate amounts of time, right? Yeah, Uh, we were told two days to two weeks, but I'm sure back when it was first built, no one really cared how long you were down there for. I'm sure. I mean, I'm even sure it could have been a month, two months, maybe a year. We we don't know. That's insane. Two days would be enough down there for me, but yeah. one hour is enough for me. Uh, right? Yeah. It's it, there's it's very spooky. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I would not want to be well. One, I don't want to be in one of these cells, but I especially wouldn't want to be in one of the the dungeon the dungeon cells. dungeon down in there. Um. So in cell seventeen. There's a handprint. There is a handprint in cell 17, yes. And you can't get rid of it? Nope. People have tried. People have tried for the past 100, 150 years almost. And what, what have they done to try? They've washed it off. They painted over it. They plastered over it. People went in and actually chiseled out that section of the wall and refilled it. And it still came back. And it still comes and back. It always comes back. It's in there today. I mean, I saw it. It's, we saw it. It's we, there. we saw it in there just the other mm-hmm. day. So do you know whose handprint it is? Uh, we do not know for a hundred percent fact. The latest evidence we have found has told us it was Thomas Fisher's handprint, one of the Molly Maguires. And he just—he must. Well, he reached up. It's fairly it was, high he up most there. Most likely staying on his bed, but it's still—it's still pretty high up there. And the handprint is massive. It is yeah, big. yeah, it's a—it's a pretty big handprint. Yeah, so, yeah. So, okay, are there? Okay, now get into Kim's part of the story here. <laughs> is this jail haunted? It is haunted. Yes. Okay. Give so us some stories. Who's it haunted by? I'm so assuming by the Molly Maguires. So the Molly Maguires, we are fairly certain they're here, as well as people who have passed away from 
just natural causes, murders, suicides, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We believe that there's there's a pretty decent amount of spirits here. And has anybody seen how how do they manifest? Do you see orbs? Do they walk? Do they there's, rattle the doors? There's tons of orbs. People take orbs or people take pictures with orbs. Probably about three times a day, I see pictures with orbs. I've taken pictures with orbs. People see doors shut. People see doors open. People hear things. People feel things. Uh, just everything you can imagine. It's most likely happened here. Do you get creeped out if you're in here? Late. I'm here, so my as I said, my grandparents own it. So 80% of the time I'm here is usually by myself. So whether that's cleaning, decorating, doing trash, whatever, that's just me by myself. And the one thing I can say about that is I can tell I'm never alone. It's the weirdest <laughs> feeling. It feels like always there's somebody looking over my shoulder. There's somebody up on the balcony looking at me. Multiple times a day I'll feel like I see something out of the corner of my eye. I don't know if that's me being paranoid or if it's actually something there. So your grandparents, so your grandparents bought the prison, and it, you said it was owned by another family before that. It was owned by the county, so they. Bought oh, it was it owned right by the county, the county, and then your grandparents bought it. Yes. So what inspired them? It, are they just big history buffs, or? Mm, no, I would say they're they like old buildings. I guess you could say, but okay. that's not the reason they bought it. Uh, the county was actually planning on tearing it down as oh, it wow. was too much money to keep operating, and there was no point if they weren't keeping prisoners here. Sure. So they put in a newspaper that uh, they were going to tear it down. My grandfather said, well, maybe I'd like to buy it. Can I take a tour of it? So as I said before in the podcast, he actually came in with 13 prisoners in here. He toured it and then um, bought it the next day, actually. That's awesome. Huh. So I think I've read, is this building on the National Historic Registry? It is, yes. It is. So now it's not going to get torn down like ever? No. So what was that like to, uh, and how old were you at the time? Were you? I wasn't like, born yet. Oh, okay. So, so they bought it in 1995. So, so But I you know the born. stories and stuff. What was that like to, uh, just basically because there were still prisoners here, what was that like to transition um, it to a private facility? So they didn't do much. Everything you guys see is pretty much how they got it. Um, they painted a few walls like in the gift shop and in the living room, stuff like that. But we've never completely changed anything in the cell block in the dungeon everything is pretty much how we bought it yeah i can tell you it's a lot cleaner now than it was when they bought it really my grandmother actually tells me a story all the time she says that they came in to buy it and my grandmother said to my grandfather you can buy it but i'm never stepping foot in this place it's too dirty for me so they came in they cleaned out the gift shop and she saw it wasn't too bad and they cleaned out another room and they saw (laughs) it wasn't too bad and then room by room it started to become more I guess you could say homey for them. They never lived here, but it became not so much a jail. It became like, I guess you could say like a lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So now, as a matter of fact, we can't keep my grandmother out of here. So the, the jail is, <laughs> it's right here kind of in, I don't want to say the center of town, but it's in a populated area. Mm-hmm. Did the, uh, any, any stories about the neighbors complaining because... It's, it had to be loud with inmates in it here. It was most likely loud, but I've never heard any complaints. I've only heard funny stories with the jail. Uh, one of the guides who worked here actually was a kid when the jail was still active, and they said they used to kind of interact with the prisoners. There's a courtyard over here, and they said they used to throw balls over the courtyard and wait for the prisoners to throw it back. Oh. Yeah, so I've, not so much that the jail was a burden to the town. It became, became just a part of the town. No one ever threw a file over, huh? No, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, any, maybe, we don't know. We any don't escapes? Know. Yes, there's been 33 known oh, escapes. Oh, wow. Someone mm-hmm. threw a file over that <laughs> fence, I'm <laughs> telling you. Likely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so most of the escapes that I've heard uh, aren't as interesting as you think. There are a couple interesting ones, but most of them were guard error. So, mm. actually, five of those escapes came at one time when the guards left a screen door 
Uh, the screen door was the only thing that was uh, shut. So the prisoners just ran right through the screen door, and <laughs> by then they were into, like, the warden's, like, living quarters, and they just pushed open the door, and they got Wow. Out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there have been some other cool escapes. Uh, like, a man got through uh, the window, as you guys heard. It's uh, about a four inches tall, and he got his head through somehow. How in the world? I mean... It's 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 not that big. I can't imagine no. how he got his head through. No. He didn't chip away any of the. Mm-mm. He just nope. squeezed his head he just through. Got his head through somehow. Yep. I don't I don't know how. And I've seen him before. His head's not tiny. Like it's, 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 a, normal, it's a normal head. Yeah. So. Interesting. And and so, what I guess I don't know what other kind of stories have you heard about? Um, just weird things that have happened here, or or. Um, stories from the prisoners hmm. so this is one of the stories that we tell in our ghost tours so our ghost tours are in october our first one's actually tomorrow which will be the ninth uh but one of the things actually happened was there was a man who was here who was about to be transferred to the state penitentiary which is way worse than here and he didn't have too many friends there let's just say he had a couple enemies mm. so he didn't want to go to the state penitentiary he had a friend who was on work release you know work release prisoners a prisoner who goes down to the gym thorpe does their job and then comes back and sleeps in the jail. So he convinced one of his friends on work release to not go to work one day, but instead to go to his house, grab his rifle, and then climb up the mountain behind the jail. While the man who was about to be transferred to the Eastern State, or says State Penitentiary, not the Eastern State, was about to be transferred to the State Penitentiary, was out during recess. The man was supposed to shoot him in the arm or the leg, somewhere to send to the infirmary and not to the State Penitentiary. So for some reason that man agreed to it. He went out. And he did shoot him, but he didn't shoot him in the armor leg. He actually <gasps> shot him in the chest. Whoops. Huh. The, man, the man died, and that man who shot him actually took his place in the state penitentiary. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Have you had any uh, former inmates come back to take the tour? or? We've had um, past inmates, past guards. That man uh, who came back after he escaped, uh, he came back and told us his story firsthand, actually. So he was here a couple of times. That's huh. cool. Is he local? Does he live? He lives about, um, about an hour away now. Huh. That's kind of... Interesting. Like, well, could, he, could he do it again? Do you uh, no, he no. could not. <laughs> <laughs> well. Could you do any any of the things now that you could do when you were like in your twenties? No, no, I can't. no. I don't think you could. <laughs> so, if someone wanted to learn more about the prison, where where would they go to? Uh, you can email us at the old jail at old jail jt. So it's o l d j a i l j t at gmail dot com or our website. The old jail museum has all of our information, all of our hours, and stuff like that on it. Yeah. And starting tomorrow, which is October 10th, 9th, 9th um, you are doing the J- the um, ghost tours Correct. in the evenings? Evenings, 6 to 9 p.m. So it's uh, last four Saturdays of October. We shut off all the lights in here. We keep on the, the Halloween lights, and we take you around and tell you ghost stories for about uh, half an hour. Very cool. Has anybody ever offered to... Uh Pay to spend the night in a cell? Many people have, yeah. But you I've don't do it? I've never let anyone, and my grandparents have never let anyone. Maybe one day. We'll see. Maybe one day. But you guys are going to pay me enough to stay here overnight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that's going to about wrap it up yeah. for for the uh, for the jail tour right here. It's it's really an interesting place. And you know, now that we're the only people in here, we, we took a little bit of pause because the tour went through. And now we're alone. You can kind you of hear. You can feel it. Like you can feel a little bit of. It, it does feel a little, a little spooky. It's a little creepy. It it's, is. It's yeah. a little creepy, mm-hmm. but Absolutely. I guess you're used to it. I guess I've gotten used to it for the yeah. years. Yeah. All right. 
Anything else you want to uh, tell about the jail? How to? No, I think we covered it pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Right. Awesome. So, Blaine, thank you so much thank for you. for taking the time to meet with us. Um, can you find any stories about the jail? Has it been highlighted on any other shows or anything? Uh, yeah, actually, let me just grab this. So we've been on uh, we've been on a multiple different shows. We've been on uh, Discovery Channel's uh, Would You Believe It. We were on PBS a bunch of times, the Discovery Channel, History Channel. Uh, we were on Mysteries of the Museum. There's a couple of different movies filmed in here. Wow, yeah. very cool. So and if you actually coming up in November, we have uh, Jack Osborne, Ozzy Osborne's son. Uh huh. He's coming in to do a paranormal investigation with his show, Portals to Hell. Awesome. Yeah. So and now you've been you on an hour of your life. Yep. And, uh, yeah, which is way cooler than any of those other things. So <laughs> if you want to check out more, um, definitely keep a watch out for that in November and go to Mysteries of the Museum, History Channel, all those other fine places that Blaine mentioned. And you can find more about the Corbin County Jail. Okay, Blaine, thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, we are now back home in our studio. Hopefully the only thing you will notice different is we're not going to have that cool echo from the jail. Now you got <laughs> yeah. you got to picture that jail. It was like I it was solid very rock spooky. and so there were echo and stuff like that. But we're home in the studio now. And I misspoke. I called it the Corbin County Jail. It's the Carbon County Jail. So on the way home from Pennsylvania, Kim and I talked about this episode and Blaine did such a great job explaining about the history of the jail, but he brought up about the Molly Maguires, and that just led Kim and I to start asking each other questions and Googling while I wasn't Googling, I was driving. Kim Googled, <laughs> and it just brought up, we wanted to bring out a little bit more about the Molly Maguires and that part of the story, because it was such an interesting part, and I think we kind of focused on the jail more which was appropriate because we had right. Blaine there. Yeah. And so now we want to kind of focus on the Molly Maguires now full, that we're back home. Full disclosure, though, as I was researching and putting together um, the the research on the Molly Maguires, I did not have the benefit of listening to the interview. So some of the things that we talk about may be repetitious. And so if that is the case, we apologize. Um, but I Repetition is good. Yeah. You'll remember it then. I guess, theoretically. Yes. All right. So, um, so we briefly Let's do the deep dive into the Molly Maguire's. Yes. Okay. All right. So we briefly discussed, um, the great potato famine. For those of you who don't know, basically, um, in Ireland, the English, uh, the landlords, right. Way back in the day, um, there was a split in Ireland because of religion, Protestants versus Catholics. Henry wanted to marry. He wanted to. And the Pope wouldn't give his blessing. Yes, he wanted to get divorced and remarried. The Pope wouldn't give his blessing, so Henry VIII basically said, forget you. I'll now start the Church of England. Yeah, I'm going to start my own church. And, of course, the British had control over, like, half the globe at this point, including Ireland. So, Well, the saying was, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Correct. So, at one part of Ireland remained Catholic. The other part of Ireland remained loyal to the Church of England. Now, the Church of England... Wait. Or, well, the English... Remained loyal or... Or uh, were... 
they gave their loyalty to. Yeah, that's yeah. maybe a better way of saying it. Yeah. So the English, their English landlords, then, um, if you were not loyal to the Church of England, if you were Catholic, they faced a lot of persecution um, because they weren't falling in line with the Church of England and the way things were done now. So um, they really, the English really mistreated the Irish. And they, they had, had to pay well, they, exorbitant fees and crops, and they barely had enough to survive on. Taxes and, and crops. And, right. Yeah. And then a potato famine struck. Yeah. Literally overnight, potatoes rotted in the fields, and that's their primary crop. That's what they primary ate. They Potato milk, potato stoop, potato bread like and this wasn't by choice it was because it's that that was all they could grow in the soil and right yeah so the potato famine really i mean it was exacerbated it it was horrible like it killed i don't know if it killed millions of people but it, it killed a lot of people so that's kind of the background so um faced with the prospect of starvation during the great potato famine more than a million irish emigrated to america where a large concentration settled in the anthracite coal region of Pennsylvania in search of work. Do you want to know about anthracite coal? Give us a brief, okay. a brief rundown there's on anthracite diff- There's different categories of coal. Anthracite is a very hard coal, and it's used mostly, or it was, for like steel production. What you think of in the, uh, what people would burn in their homes and in the power plants, that would be, a bituminous or subbituminous, which is was softer coal. But anthracite is technically a cleaner coal. It doesn't have as much sulfur content, so it burns a little bit cleaner. But you got to remember now, anthracite was big and that they needed the anthracite coal for production and to run the factories and things like that. Good to know. Now, if you want to learn more about coal, specifically subbituminous coal, I'm told, uh, go back to episode 92, Bloody Harlan, and you'll kind of get a feel for what it is like to this. Now, this is much later than the period that we're going to be talking about. But, you know, we're still talking coal camps it and is very, coal companies. Honestly, it hasn't changed. It's what, 50, 75 years later? Between when the Molly Maguires in the 1870s and Harlan County. No, I guess it's 100 years, about 100 years later. But honestly, not a lot has changed in that 100 years in the way coal is produced and the, the, um, the sort of political corruption that can happen with the big coal mines and the big coal bosses and the small towns and the coal stores. And the the laborers. Yes. So... Um, if you really, yeah. So if you want to take a little bit of a deeper, deeper dive, go back to episode 92 and listen to that one. Anyway, one day we're going to do an an entire episode on coal mining. Yep. The people are waiting with bated breath. (laughs) Okay. Back to the Molly. Okay. So anyway, so they, the Irish went in search of work. Now, Irish Catholics were routinely met with discrimination based on both their religion and heritage and often encountered help-wanted signs with disclaimers that read, Irish need not apply. Accepting the most physically demanding and dangerous mining jobs, the men and their families were forced to live in overcrowded, company-owned housing, buy goods from company-owned shops, and visit company-owned doctors. And... Um, again, we talked about this a little bit in, in the Harlan County episode, but they were paid in something called script, 
which is not like real money. It's money that you can only spend at, at the, the company, company store. store. So you have to shop and buy what the coal company tells you to buy. So basically, it's it's almost like slave labor in a sense. You're paid, but you're only paid in money that's only good for the place that you're working. And so in many cases, workers wound up owing their employers at the end of each month. Enter the Mollies. Well, the Molly Maguire's name can be traced back to the early 19th century Ireland. Molly Maguire, who was an Irish widow in the 1840s, protested against the English landlords who tried to steal the people's land, you know, the land that they had been living on for probably centuries. Right, generations. Family, family owned, yeah, yeah, generations is a good way to say it. Family-owned land. She headed a group called the Anti-Landlord Agitators, who were best known for getting in bare-knuckle fights with their landlords in order to maintain their land and their dignity. Take that from a son of Molly Maguire was often heard after group members would deliver a beating. Eventually, their violence gained notoriety across Ireland, and they were proudly called themselves the Molly Maguires after their leader. With almost no labor or mining laws, the coal mines were extremely dangerous and decrepit condition. So now we're, we've switched from Ireland back to America. We're back to America, yep. yeah. So when the Civil War broke out and miners were drafted to join in what they perceived to be a rich man's war, they began to rebel. Coffin notices threatening death, allegedly penned by Molly Maguire's, were delivered to mining supervisors and scabs. And if you remember what scabs were, those were the people who went ahead and worked when there was a strike. Now, so they were called scabs. Can you imagine you leave? I, I, I'm i sure some of the, the Irish who did manage to find at least mediocre jobs maybe didn't have a problem fighting for their new homeland. But can you imagine you leave England after being, or Ireland after being oppressed by the English to seek a better life in America? And then not only are you told, don't bother to apply for this work because we don't want you. The only job that you can find is hot and da- very dangerous. Um, there were boys as young as five that were um, working in the mines at this time. And you, it was said that if you made it to the age of 10 with all 10 fingers, you were lucky. Mm-hmm. That's how dangerous this coal mining was. And now there's a civil war that breaks out in your new nation and you are drafted to go fight for these people that are treating you terribly. I, I kind of don't blame the Molly Maguires for kind of rebelling against yeah. the Civil War draft. Well, like I was saying, they, they were delivering these coffin notices to the supervisors and the scabs, the people who were going to fill their jobs. Yeah, why don't you there, go fight? There, yeah, during the strikes. Yeah. So in 1864, the Working Men's Benevolent Association, or the WBA, was formed in Pennsylvania to help enforce appropriate and safer mining conditions. The WBA strictly forbade violence and opposed uh, militancy. However, this organization catered more to its own interest than the needs of the workers due to this self-serving attitude and also due to prejudice that existed within the organization. The Irish decided to form their own group to protect their workers. Now, this group was known as the Ancient Order of Hibernians, and I believe they're still around today. Um, we'll, we're going to call them the AOH, um, just because Ancient Order of Hibernians is a mouthful. So the AOH only allowed Irishmen or sons of Irishmen. 
They sought to provide fairness for the Irish working class, and they were willing to punish those who mistreated the workers. So remember those bare-knuckle brawls that they got in back in Ireland. If I'm not mistaken, the AOH is like an American wing, and the Irish Republican Army, while they weren't the Irish Republican Army, it was like this Irish group, society, and they raised funds, provided money that they sent to the Irish Liberation Army. So these ties and roots are deep. They did support Irish independence. Yeah. Now, I, the Hibernians are still around today. They are very pro-Irish, and they have they are an esteemed organization boasting members like JFK was a Hibernian. Um, some of the like high-ranking cardinals are Hibernians. So I, I don't want to... Yeah, I mean, they're it not wasn't like a, a militant organization. No, but I think there was money that was funneled. Yes, okay. there are some ties there. Yeah. So, I, as within any organization, there are yeah. groups of people. Okay, yeah. So, um, so that's what the AOH was. Um, they were trying to provide fairness for the Irish working class, and they were willing to physically punish and get rough with those people who mistreated workers. Now, obviously, the Hibernians are not like that now. Um, now they are like any other organization, um, the Knights of Columbus the Masons, um, the Knights of Pythagoras, any of the the kind of community, the Rotarians, like any of the community organizations that yeah. seek to do good in the community. and and But they still look out for Irish immigrants and those of Irish descent as kind of number one. Um, even today, that's kind of still their, their um, goal. So anyway, the Molly Maguires was a secret group. Many believed that the AOH was their cover or working name, and the AOH was recognized by the state as a legitimate organization. Interestingly enough, and we'll talk about this again, the Molly Maguires on paper never existed. Still don't. Like, there's no proof that they ever existed kind as of a like, formal organization. Kind of like Odessa yes. and some of our other yeah. stories. As a formal organization, the Molly Maguires never, there's no proof they ever existed. Now, once an Irishman had proven himself in the AOH, he could then be inducted into the Molly Maguires. So it's almost like if you... A secret organization within the organization. Yeah, it, as I was researching this, I found myself thinking of Sons of Anarchy, of all things. Like, it's, you have to, you you get into the ancient Hibernians, and then you have to, like, according to people that were no longer in the, the Molly Maguires, or, you know, that said that the Mollies existed, they said you had to get on your knees and swear fealty to the Molly Maguires into Ireland, and, like... I mean, it was a big, that you were hazed, basically. While the AOH could not make changes through legislation, the Molly Maguires tried to make changes through force. However, despite the AOH and Molly Maguires fighting hard for better working conditions, little improvement was made. And as a result, in 1875, they resorted to what became known as the Long Strike. The Long Strike of 1875 was the first important open coal dispute in the anthracite coal region of Pennsylvania. Due to the nature of the Molly Maguires, it was also the scene for some of the most violent crimes in labor history. Now, I both the unions and the coal companies, I want to make that clear, both sides were responsible for numerous violent acts during the strike, including violent brawls, 
sabotage, and even coordinated murder to include the murder of a pregnant wife of one of the alleged Molly Maguires and pistol whipping his elderly mother by some of the coal company goon squad. This just parallels Bloody Harlan. It is. It it really does. If you, it's it's uncanny how similar they are. So, to combat the union violence, the coal authorities formed a police force at where we heard that before, mm-hmm. described in history books as the Pennsylvania Cossacks, whose sole purpose was to kill violent strikers. Eventually, the violent got out of hand, and the coal companies needed to put a stop to the chaos. This is why James McParland was recruited by the coal companies to infiltrate the AOH and provide enough incriminating evidence to bring them to trial. Now, James McParland was a native Irishman who worked for the Pinkerton Detective Agency, also known simply as the Pinkertons. Now, if you're not familiar with them, they started back in, I think, 1850. And for corporate America, especially railroads, mines, and others involved in interstate commerce, the Pinkertons stood as an effective check on troublemakers within and without. For laborers, the Pinkertons were the most feared and hated agency in the land. Now, think think about, like, the FBI during the gangster times, almost. Now, after Lincoln was assassinated, I think the government hired Pinkerton agents to protect the presidents for could a while, until the Secret Service was formed. I could see that. Now, during the long strike... I'll have to verify that one. During the long strike, McParlin assumed the alias of James McKenna, and he infiltrated the AOH. I mean, he started at the bottom. He worked his way up, first becoming a member in Schuylkill County by swearing that he was a member of the Buffalo, New York chapter. What county? Schuylkill, I think it's, or Schuylkill? Schuylkill? Um, It's in Pennsylvania. From there, he gradually worked his way deeper and deeper into the organization, eventually being initiated into the secret group of the Molly Maguires. And I believe... James McKenna slash James McParlane was the one who said that he had to get down on his knees and swear fealty to the Molly Maguires um, and, you know, basically say that he, you know, he he had to basically turn his back on um, the coal company and and swear allegiance to the Mollies. Now, um, with the assistance of McParlane, the police were able to arrest over 60 men in 1875 accused of being linked to the Molly Maguires. And those arrests made it possible to defeat the miner strike. Now, leading up to all of that, there was a guy by the name of um, John Kehoe, who was kind of like the the leader of the Molly Maguires. And he sort of like handpicked all of the, the guys. And he kind of had... Um, an inkling that maybe McParlane was not who he said he was and that maybe he was the one who was kind of a double agent, but he didn't really have anything to prove that. Um, but after the pregnant, the pregnant lady, um, the wife was killed and the guy's mom was pistol whipped. Um, it, it got pretty serious for McParlane and they kind of squirreled him. The, the Pinkertons kind of squirreled him away Um and for, but he was still under the, uh, the, you know, the, the Molly Maguires were still under the assumption that this was James McKenna, their buddy. And he just kind of disappeared for a while. And then when it came time for trials, 
uh, he showed up and like told everybody still thought that he was James McKenna. And so when it was time for the trials, he shows up and says, my name is really James McParlin. I am a member of the Pinkertons. And this was the first time that any of the Molly Maguires had heard that. And they obviously were, you know, not real thrilled. Now, the strike is over. But despite the strike ending, the minor mine owners wanted more. So from 1875 to 1877, a series of trials were held in Pottsville, Pennsylvania to uncover alleged crimes committed by the Molly Maguires. And although the trials couldn't prove any evidence, couldn't provide any evidence that the Mollies actually existed, remember we said they don't exist on paper, the media still referred to those men by that name. And since there was no evidence to link them to the Molly Maguires, the men were all tried as individuals instead of as like a gang. Okay. So I did a really quick search because I knew there was a tie to Lincoln and the Pinkertons. So let me just read this real quick. Pinkerton became famous when he claimed to have foiled a plot to assassinate President-elect Abraham Lincoln, who later hired Pinkerton agents for his personal security during the Civil War. Pinkerton's agents performed services ranging from security uh, from security guarding to private military contracting work. So I knew there was a tie So they there. were like mercenaries almost. They, they were a private detective agency. But they also provided military services, and they were a private detective and police force that were hired to kill some of the striking miners and people that got violent. They so were guns for hire. They were mercenaries, essentially. All right. Okay, so. So, the trials resulted in 20 men being sentenced to hang, based almost entirely on McParlin's testimony. Ten of the men were executed on June 21st, 1877, also known as Black Thursday. Emotions were so strongly against them that before they were executed, they were excommunicated from the Catholic Church and consequently denied a proper Christian burial. One of these men, Alexander Cam Campbell, was a tavern owner and recruiter for the AOH. He was charged with masterminding, masterminding the slayings of mine superintendent Morgan Powell in 1871 and John P. Jones in 1875, although Campbell was never proven to be connected with the actual perpetration of any Molly McGuire crimes. But the testimony of a Molly known as Powder Keg Kerrigan, who turned state's evidence and escaped punishment, sent Campbell to the gallows. Before he was hanged, Campbell is allegedly to have wiped his sweaty hand and the dust of the floor and issued his now famous curse upon the Carbon County Jail. And that's the handprint in cell 17 in cell 17 that Blaine yes. told us about. Yep. Yep. Now we, I believe we spoke a little bit in the interview about Franklin Gowan. Um, he was a prosecutor and despite the conflict of interest, he was also the president of the Philadelphia and Reading coal and iron company that owned many of the coal fields. And he managed to serve as the chief prosecutor during all of these trials. So he was a prosecutor and the president and the mine boss. And so um, it's been charged that Gowan secured not only his own evidence, but also his own judge, uh, fellow prosecutor, his own witnesses, and he picked handpicked the jury. Um, so, and his influence might have even extended even farther up the state and local political hierarchy. So these guys did not stand a chance at a fair trial. 
Um, although the existence of the Molly Maguires as an organized band of outlaws in America is still debated, most historians now agree that the trials and executions were an outrageous perversion of the criminal justice system. And that they, none of these guys, whether they were an organized gang or not, none of them really got a fair trial. And in 1979, more than 100 years after his hanging, John Kehoe, allegedly the king of the Molly Maguires, was granted a full pardon by the state of Pennsylvania. Governor Milton J. Schapp wrote, quote, It is impossible for us to imagine the plight of the 19th century miners in Pennsylvania's anthracite region, and that it was John Kehoe's popularity among the miners that led Gowan to fear, despise, and ultimately destroy him. Schapp continued, we can be proud of the men known as the Molly Maguires because they defiantly faced allegations which attempted to make trade unionism a criminal conspiracy. And that is the rest of the story. It just, after visiting the jail, we there was There's so much about the Molly history. Maguires. We, we had to do a little bit more research and to learn a little bit more about that. So. Yeah, and it really is, it's so uncanny how similar it is to bloody harlan Uh, the coal industry is just and even today i would imagine it's not that bad but it's 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 bloody in a different kind of way it's politically bloody now like legislatively bloody on paper do you know what i mean like there's not violence in the streets but there's there's you know we want clean energy but you need to have coal to make steel and do we need this and do we need that it's just it's a very divisive Mineral industry, yeah, yeah. So that so wraps go. this up. Uh, little did we know when we went to um, Pennsylvania on vacation <laughs> that we, this would be our first episode. But I'm so glad we did. Yeah, we had no. This was not what we had. Should we tell them what we were gonna do? We yeah, were, go ahead. We were gonna do shipwrecks for Spooky October and ghost ships. And we had every intention of coming back in October, like after things had settled down, starting spooky October, we're going to do ghost ships, we're going to do shipwrecks. And then we ended up touring this prison and we were, we got to do ghost So we decided now. to go visit Mao Chunk. Is that how you say it? Mock Chunk. Mock Chunk. Mm-hmm. Also known as Jim Thorpe, a town in Pennsylvania. Beautiful, again, beautiful Very beautiful. Town. Very beautiful this town. little Switzerland of America is what yeah. they call it. And we took the train ride up the valley, mm-hmm. and it was beautiful. The leaves were kind of changing. We came back, and we saw where the, the jail was. And so we went up, and we took the tour, and we knew right then that... We're, this is what we're doing for Spooky October, and this is our theme this prison, year. Prisons, prisons and jails. Jails and prisons, and spooky haunted jails and prisons. Um, so stay tuned. We've got some big ones coming up. Of course, there are. Should we tell them what we're doing? or just? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, of course, we have to do um, Alcatraz at some point. Um, we Of course, we're going to do Eastern State. Of course. And, of course, we're going to do Mansfield. Um, we'll probably throw one more in there, too. Yeah. I, I have a couple in mind. I just have to pick one. So... Uh, we're a little bit later than what we had intended, so you get a double dose this those, week. Those day jobs just keep interfering with our fun. Um, but you get a double dose this week, so this is last week's episode. Um, there will be another one out this Sunday. 
I'm so glad for those of you. Thank you so much to everybody that wrote to us while we were kind of on hiatus. We got several emails. Um, Thanks for checking. Yeah, we got several emails. Um, people that continued to listen, people that continued to find us, even though we weren't putting out new content. Thank you so much for being patient with us. Um, I promise that we are we are back now. Like there's not really anything that's keeping us. We're kind of into, into a routine now. Um, life has kind of settled down a little Except bit. Except I have to go to Detroit this week and but then, it's okay I and then next the, week i have to go to chicago it's so. all right though we're we're in kim territory now so i i can do this research because we are uh we're in my month thank goodness you're in my house so um so yeah we're we're back thank you for uh being patient with us thank you again so much to all of the kind people in pennsylvania we were just blown away by how nice everybody was um it was it was a very it was a, a really good trip. We met lots of nice people and everybody was really friendly. Um, thank you, especially to Blaine, who at the really a moment's notice, we called him and he was like, hey, you want to come tomorrow? Uh, and so it was it was very kind of him to meet with us in very short notice and grant us an interview. Um, so thank you very much. All right. So, Kim. Yes. Well, please share. <laughs> share an episode. Of, we've done this yeah, share, share it an hour of your life with your friends. Tell your friends about it. We, we, we try to dig up content that is a little bit off the wall, a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And how do they get hold of us? You can find us on social media or you can write to us at alosthour at gmail.com. Yep. And we can be found on all the platforms. So Every when you, single one. So when you tell your friends, hey, we found this really good podcast, mm-hmm. and they'll say, well, where do I find it? You can say anywhere. Anywhere you want. Anywhere, any, any platform you want to, we're there. All right. Anything else? I think that's it. Thank you again for being patient with us. And I'm so glad to be back with you guys. I missed this. Okay. So it's spooky October. It is. So thanks to listening to us this episode, a split episode from Carbon County, Pennsylvania, and our studio here in Sugar Creek Township. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Sources this week include the History Channel, the Encyclopedia of Chicago, Kevin Kenny of the Oxford University Press, the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission, the Pennsylvania Center for the Book, HistoryNet, and of course, the Old Jail Museum. And Blaine. Thank you.